Testament book again of Isaiah. When Bob asked me to do, be prepared for the two weeks, last week and this week, and he says this, you know, some time ago, and I thought, ah, yeah, prepare. So what you have in your bulletin, you know, with these other passages, uh, we're not going to get there. That was my intent, but we're going to deal with just Isaiah 7 today. Follow along, if you would, with your eyes. I will be read the first 16 verses of Isaiah 7. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramelah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to war against it, but it could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, and as the trees of the wood are mowed down with the wind. And said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou, and Shershebaz thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet, fear not, Neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of the smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and for the son of Ramelah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramelah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah, and vex it, and let us make a, bre a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen, and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remelah's son, if ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know, a ref know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. We pray our God's word will fill our hearts and be blessings. Let's pray. Father, in the quietness of our morning, we approach uh, the words of the prophet uh, given 
to you, uh, from you to him in order that we would understand and know the beauty of the power of your word. As it spoke volumes to those of Old Testament times, it speaks volumes to us today. Father, clear away the distractions and the, uh, the thoughts that have no place here from our hearts. As we approach your word, may we approach it with great joy and anticipation. In Christ's name, amen. We mentioned the condition of Judah uh, last week as we entered into Isaiah a little bit earlier in the passage and tried to expand it a little bit more today. And I think we need to say during Isaiah's time, and you know when we use the word Israel, we kind of think of the land of Israel today. And yet as the passage presents unto us, there were other kingdoms uh, from the time of Solomon to his sons, the kingdom was divided. And so there was a southern kingdom called Judah and a northern kingdom, sometimes called or referred to, at least here, Ephraim, or what we would say is Israel. So sometimes they kind of reverse back and forth. But the prophet Isaiah was a prophet to both north and south. Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord sent him to speak to Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom, who is the grandson of the man we talked about last week, Uzziah. And it mentioned the genealogy uh, within that period. Ahaz was not quite like his grandfather, uh, really not like his father. Uh, wickedness was within the heart of this man. Uh, for example, in 2 Kings 16, Ahaz goes to the high priest and he tells him, uh, we want to change the worship here within the temple. We want to make it like the temple of the Assyrians. And so there are a lot of institutions of changes which showed the heart of, of Ahaz and it really things that were against the law of God. So within our text, Ahaz was told that Syria and the northern tribe of Israel, or the tribes of Israel, are about to come together and to attack Judah. And the passage talks about not only King Ahaz being afraid, but his whole uh, area, the, the whole tribes that were with him, uh, being afraid also. He says, though, God says, if you are afraid, um, then turn to me and have faith and trust in me. Believe that I will deliver you. And if you're not, if you decide to turn and, and, and do that which is against my, uh, my will, uh, fear will overrule your body. Fear will overrule your mind. Um, what he ends up doing is exactly what God told him not to do. The other superpower in the area was Assyria. And so Ahaz is looking, he says, we have a Syria and the northern tribes of Israel coming against me. So what I'll do is I'll make an alliance with Assyria and becomes a destruction to him. So Ahaz has a choice to make. Will he trust in the promises of God or not? And this is key. The decision he has to make is not a political one, but it's a spiritual one. Because it reflects the heart of Ahaz, and it reflects the heart of the people themselves. The Lord says that if Ahaz will trust him and do nothing, he says, I'll take care of Judah. But if not, by default, fear will rule, and not only rule your heart, but it will rule the nation itself. The issue is clear. Will Ahaz seek his salvation by works through a political alliance 
which I've told you already ahead of time, he does, or will he simply trust in the promises of God? Look down to verse 7, and it says, Thus saith the Lord God. In other words, the sovereign Lord. Uh, And he presents himself, and again, this is God presenting himself through the prophet Isaiah. He says, look who I am. I have control over the whole earth, the whole world, and all the nations that are there. This is the one that you are hearing. The strength that you lack can be found in me. God's power of ruling over all nations should cause Ahaz to trust in him. What he sees and what he knows should bring him to his knees and trust in God. I think even in our own days, such a truth is always to be brought with comfort and strength. The confusion, the dismay, the the roarings, everything that takes place every single day and where we live, we need to understand the sovereign Lord. It doesn't matter what size of the enemy is, what shoutings our Goliaths are, this is the matter of truth, and the Lord reigns over all of his own. Now you look down to verse 9, where he says, If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Uh, This is God, but he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, in the negative form, if you don't believe, well, then this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to be established. But Ahaz doesn't put his trust in the Lord. It means that Ahaz has to have the faith needed in this day. What Isaiah has promised unto him will come to pass, and fear will rule his heart and mind. We'll see how Ahaz responds at the moment later here, but let me first remind us about our God's call to trust in him, how it applies in everyday situations. When we're faced with the temptations at work to do things that aren't right, we have a a choice to make. Will I trust in God or will I do that which is expedient, which will make me more popular or go the easy way? When there's marriage problems, will I trust in the goodness of God's way or will I lean on my own understanding? When our children are rebuilding, will I trust in the Lord to give that which is necessary or will I allow fear to rule my heart? When our finances are tight, is it clear that I'm not, I'm not going to make ends meet? How will I do it? Or will I trust in the Lord? Or will I make, try to do other things to make ends meet? When a brother and sister in Christ is living in unrepentant sin, will I trust in the word of God and how to deal with that situation? Or will I believe that it'll just end up, it'll, it'll work itself out eventually? When I look around at our nation, we see all of its problems. Will I trust God and his word? Or will I expect the political situation and those involved in it just to find the proper way to work it out? I think throughout our lives, we are presented with a steady stream of opportunities to trust in God. Sometimes they're small things. Sometimes they're even larger areas. But it's the principle that lays before us. Those of you who know, can you recite with me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. It's a key found in a a principle of, of teaching that Solomon gave, and it was key in all of life. 
The decisions we make on a daily basis show what really rules our lives. The sovereign Lord says, if you are not firm in faith, you will, you will not be firm at all. If I learn to trust in him and lean upon his understanding in the direction that he gives, I'll be victorious. Back to Ahaz, he had to decide whether he was going to trust in the promises of God or not. From verses 10 to 16, uh, it shows his reaction to the challenge that the prophet Isaiah brings to him. One thing that stands clear is the matter of amazing grace. We talked about Ahaz's character, about changing the worship, the temple worship, and how it was to be done. And then there were a lot of other things that showed this man's character, his heart nature. One of the most heinous ones, though, is that his son was burned to death. He offered his son to the god Molech. Uh, Molech was apparently, according to what archaeologists have found, uh, was a statue, hollow metal statue with arms uh, cast out, and they would build a fire within the belly of Molech, and the arms would become almost molten, and you would take your child and you would lay him on the arms of Molech. So this is the direction that Ahaz had gone, the wickedness, the boundaries that he had broken one time after another. And yet, as we see here, God's promise to David, and I didn't necessarily mention it in our responsive reading, but there is a constant reference in the scriptures, the Old Testament especially, to God's direction of David. He promised David the kingdom in Christ. And time and time again, he's found within the promises of David, the kings that were there. So God's promise that he will work through his son David eventually brings it through. He was a terrible king, yet God was patient with him. He didn't strike him like his grandfather with leprosy. Remember Uzziah struck with leprosy? But even not to that hope, he is believing that he had something to do with God. You know, that's how God does. That's how God works. Grace is amazing. Patience is amazing. Forgiveness, long-suffering. Sometimes it causes me to ask how gracious God has been to me in being patient, being long-suffering, and being forgiving. How do I deal in the horizontal level with others? Something they've said or something they've done. Am I patient with them or do I want to call judgment upon them? Wash my hands of them. They're done with. You know, they said that. They did that. And yet, in God's case... God was so marvelous because he had a purpose in redeeming this man, Ahaz. So God comes to Ahaz again, verses 10 and 11, and he's offering to him a sign in order to prove that he's going to be faithful. In other words, Ahaz says, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to trust in you. I'm going to trust in the alliance that I have with the Assyrians. God says, no, I'm going to give you a sign. Would you like a sign in order to prove that I am the God that has provided this promise. Again, he comes to them with this opportunity. In verse 12, Ahaz responds by rejecting the sign. As a matter of fact, he says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. It sounds very pious, doesn't it? You know, Scripture talking about not tempting the Lord your God, like that. He says, no, I'm not going to call God out. Show me a sign and I'll believe it, you know. But it's not a matter of being pious or religious. It's a matter that his heart was not in it. He didn't believe that God would do it. He never trusted in God. 
And yet, this is his example. We come to verses 13 through 16, and we find the Lord's reply. Again, this is to what Isaiah has given him, verse 13. Ahaz has tried the patience of the people, and now he's trying God's patience. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David. And there's the key, the link. It's the man who is within occupying the house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary me also? And we come to verse 14 of our text, and Isaiah says that the Lord is indeed going to give you a sign. You didn't want one? I'm sorry. You're going to get one. And this is one of the keys that I've always found, why was this given to Isaiah, or to Ahaz, the king. We often speak of this passage of uh, uh, give you a sign, a virgin will conceive, bear a son, call his name Emmanuel. How would that have ever convinced him, changed his mind in this situation? You know, trust in me, trust in what I'm going to do for you, have faith in me, and I'll, I'll rescue Judah. And it just never seemed to fit as far as our understanding of it. Prophecies, in the Old Testament especially, are not always easy to see or understand. Uh, you take a binoculars out and you go to a place where you're, you're coming up to a mountain range and you look through the binoculars and you look down and you see a, a row of mountains here and, and another row out there and you can tell maybe by the different coloring or, or the shading of whatever, these are a little farther, but you have no idea how far it is between you and the first mountain range, or the next mountain range, or the next one that goes after that. So it is with prophecies. As the prophet gives them, and, and understand that the prophet is convinced that what he is doing is speaking for God. He's, he is a spokesman for God. What God gives him is the truth. But he doesn't see the fulfillment in its perfect design as it goes forth out of him. So as Isaiah receives this, he believes that this is the prophecy that God wanted to give to Ahaz, not only to him, but to others that would follow. And whether it would change the heart of Ahaz or not is not the point. It was there to prove in God's faithfulness to his word. You look through a telescope and binoculars and you can't tell the difference and Ahaz looks through his binoculars and telescope. He has no idea what's going to take place. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And even though he wouldn't believe, God says, look at the prophecy that I'm giving. Look at what I'm telling you. This is from God, the sovereign Lord. Anticipate the fulfillment. Anticipate his coming. Luke 2, Simon, just and devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He sees Jesus, the child coming in, and he says, I have been looking for this Emmanuel. I've been looking for this sign. And, and he comes in, uh, Anna, within the temple, 84 years of age, looking for the fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given. So here on one end is Isaiah, looking all the way down, and those who were there, and from Isaiah's time all the way up through the birth of Jesus, they're all looking ahead. 
anticipating God being faithful to his promise, not knowing the distance between when the prophecy was given and when the prophecy is to be fulfilled. But they believed in anticipation that these are the things that God would do. This is what Matthew saw. He writes, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Matthew, looking back, he sees it in all of its color, of all of its fulfillment. Not looking ahead and saying, boy, I wonder if it's coming close, if it's near. He looks back and he says, I see it. Not in black and white, not in illustration, but he says, I see it all fulfilled, all in one picture. And it's beautiful as Matthew sees it. So what do we learn from the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14? It had two applications meaning that God is with us, that he shouldn't fear a person, shouldn't fear what man can do unto us, was profitable to Ahaz. The whole destruction of the battles that were taking place, the trust in alliances versus the trust in God was laid before him, and the nation feared, and they went through struggles, uh, terrible struggles in their spiritual life because they failed to believe and trust in God. The application for Ahaz's day that he shouldn't trust in the alliance with Syria, but he needed to learn to trust in God, believe that he would see them through. But I think the second application is more for us today, that we should not look to ourselves for deliverance, but rather to trust in the baby, or the baby that was the Christ child, the Emmanuel, God with us. The same principle that was laid before Ahaz The same principle is laid before us today. The principle never changes. In Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Trust, I believe, what God has provided. God with us, that is our salvation. There are a number of areas that we have to look upon more applicable, and there are a number of them here that I want to share with you. First of all, we learn that by being religious and having faith is not the same as being truly in faith with God. Ahaz sounded very pious, he sounded very religious, yet he lacked the faith and trust to believe that God would deliver, that God would provide. Our world is filled with pious men and women of all stripes, yet Ahaz fell short of the mark because he believed not in faith in God, but his own works. Coming to church, we can never make what's right with God, never being replaced by simply only trusting in the redeeming factor of what Christ has done in coming for us. Secondly, decisions that are made out of fear are almost always bad ones. Ahaz's decisions that he made there in, in for his kingdom and for his own self He feared God, no. He feared the losing of his stand before people. That was his decision-making ability, and that fell upon compromise. When we make decisions in life, they should not be upon fear. 
It should not be upon areas of what's expedient, but rather upon what is right before God. Always remember that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thirdly, the sign of Emmanuel empowers our evangelism. When we think of what Matthew presented, he begins his book by saying, Christ has come, he is Emmanuel, he is with us. And he concludes his book with the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, or disciple all nations. He says, I am with you, Christ, always, even until the end of the world. So Matthew empowers us with Christ being with us from the beginning of his book to the very end of his book, and that empowers our evangelism. It empowers us for our reaching to the lost with Christ, whether it's passing out tracts or talking to our neighbors or praying for the healing of a person or their salvation is indeed never alone in the work of Christ. Fourthly, the truth of Christ is being with us or God with us, Emmanuel, can be the source of our sorrow or it can be the source of our joy, understanding such a relationship. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that have hope in his mercy, Psalm 147. When I have hope in him, when I've trusted in him, God's delighting in such, and therefore I have joy. It brings that whole encompassing picture around my heart. Yet when I'm walking in sin, Paul says that it is grieving the Holy Spirit of God. My walking in sin doesn't bring me any joy, it brings me that which is grieving the Spirit of God. Like any good parent, God is pleased with obedience and displeased with disobedience. Even though he is here, God with me, doesn't mean that I can go and do whatever I want. Fifth, Matthew says that they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. But that's in Christ. You know, the New Testament, when you talk about being in Christ, Emmanuel, Almost all throughout the New Testament, that refers to the body of Christ, the church. Not speaking of a building, not speaking of a name, but those who are of the household of faith, those who have trusted in Christ. Paul says that the church is an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God in the Spirit. The church is where Jesus is. The Spirit of God working in the lives of those who have trusted in him. This means that the most tangible way that Jesus shows his presence is through the believer. What we do. We are encouraged when we pray for each other, when we discuss, when we encourage, when we lift up each other in the most holy faith. Our worship and our fellowship together in teaching and in prayers is shaped by the word of God because he is with us. God with us. Emmanuel means that our life together should be revealed in Jesus with us. It's one of the most tangible ways that we can experience the presence of God in our lives with other believers, praying together, laboring together because Christ is with us. Finally, God with us is the main purpose for the gospel. In Christ, God removes sin and gives us his righteousness. Christ with us is our salvation. In Christ, we do not battle loneliness, but in Christ, we battle the things of the world. We are never alone with him. 
God sees our pain. He understands what we're going through. He is alone, ready to listen to us. He promises to walk with us through the narrow, even the hardest of situations of life. Because God is with us, we can walk together in courage and in peace and in power because of what he's done for us. It was a prophecy provided for Ahaz in principle, in truth. But the prophecy of God with us extends even onto our life today, for which we're thankful. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, your blessing upon the principles of you being with us. Even here in this place today, we have the comfort and the assurance of God with us in Christ, your spirit redeeming us, bringing us to such a place that we know not only that we're saved, but that we will spend eternity with you. Encourage us to that end. Not as Ahaz turned his back on you, but as we as believers in Christ face you and face each day with a courage and a peace because you are with us. In Christ's name, amen.